What's up, y'all? It's your girl, Nurse Ree, and you're tuning in to Forensic Nurse Files. This is an informative but fun true crime podcast that follows the careers of three forensic nurse examiners. We just want to note that this podcast uses foul language, some sarcasm, and contains descriptions of adult themes and violence that some people may find disturbing. So if you need support, please check the show notes or visit our website. Hey guys, it's Nurse Free, and we're back today with part two of Signs of Abuse, and we're really sorry that we've been gone for probably about a month now, you know, just with three nurses working multiple jobs. Each is just really hard to get us all on the same page, plus just life events happen, so we're probably going to move to bi-weekly episodes, so every other Friday. But we do have some cases lined up to talk to y'all about, as well as some guests lined up to come on and tell you their stories. So with that being said, let's just jump right back into the episode. Um, and now I'm, we're just going to talk a little bit about uh, chi- uh, identification of child abuse and neglect. And we did yeah. have episodes on child abuse, and we're going to have more. Um, we're, again, we're going to talk about some of the big cases and dissect them a little bit with you all. Um so with child abuse, okay, it can again be physical, it can be sexual, assault or exploitation, it could be um, maltreatment, neglect, it's you know, emotional, etc. So all the same as it would be with adults. But in children, sometimes the warning signs are just a little bit different. So um, you know, we're for physical frequent injuries. So um kids get injuries. You know, they're they're out playing, they're riding their bikes, they're running. Some are very young. They're just, you know, learning to walk. So um but frequent injuries, unexplained bruises, welts, cuts, broken bones, um, you know, injuries that aren't appropriate for the child's age. So for instance, if um a child is um learning to they just learning to walk or they're, you know, so they fall a lot, right? You would expect maybe some injuries to the knees or, you know, maybe even elbows, places like that, the bony prominences, but you wouldn't expect to have like a, you know, a hanger mark on their, you know, their butt, right? So, or a bunch Mm -hmm. of bruising on their back, you know, places like that. Those aren't where you would see injuries from, you know, regular childhood play. So those are things that you're going to look for. Things that are, um, that have a pattern, you know, again, I said, hanger but things like a hand a belt you know you know anything that has or or lots of injuries at various stages of healing what we mean by that is you might have a fresh cut and then you might have one that's you know a scabbed over or one that's a scar or bruises of different colors and sizes and shapes I know Mm -hmm. um, we see a lot of child abuse and I know you being a, a, a pediatric intensive care nurse see some of the most severe cases because they end up you know in the hospital. So those are some of the things. Yeah. Did you want to speak to that? Yeah. So the most common types of abuse that I've experienced in my career, I would say physical neglect, which includes shaken baby syndrome, which I'll go off on a tangent about in a minute. Um, but there's also like foreign body aspiration, which means the child stuck something in their mouth and swallowed it. And maybe it's embedded somewhere in their lung or in their It's you know, lodged in their esophagus or something. There's also malnutrition, drowning, traffic accidents, and when the child should be in a car seat and they're not, 
And now that marijuana is becoming legal in so many areas, we see cases where a child has ingested maybe a gummy thinking it's candy or got into mom and dad's stash, things like that. It's just you got to keep such a close eye on your kids. So in the hospital, we also call child abuse non-accidental traumas. And so shaken baby syndrome is a huge component of that. And that just occurs when a parent or caregiver or whoever severely shakes a baby or toddler. And it's usually out of frustration or anger. But this can cause bruising, swelling, and bleeding in the brain. And this occurs because babies have such weak neck muscles. And most people know that you, when you hold a baby, you have to give them neck support. And that's because they can't fully support their heads. They, you know, they got the bobbleheads. So when you shake them, their head moves back and forth so violently that it can cause a sometimes fatal brain injury. So just to reiterate from the previous episode, you know, some signs and symptoms that you might want to look out for if you're suspicious that a baby has been shaken, altered level of consciousness, um, drowsiness, seizures, Um, you can check their pupils, you shine a light in their eyes, and you know, most people's pupils will constrict when you shine a light in their eyes. If it doesn't do that, that can be a sign. Um, Nausea, vomiting you know, a weird posture, slower, shallow breathing. So it's just really important that if you're feeling tired, if you're getting frustrated, you know, take a step back, take a deep breath, count to 10, you know, take a time out. It's okay to let the baby cry. Call somebody for support. Maybe somebody can give you a break. Make sure you're leaving your child with trusted individuals. And if you do have to seek child care from someone you don't know, just make sure you check their references, you know, go check out their house. Just do your due diligence before you leave your child with just anybody. And it could be, you know, for just frustration. And there's so many things. I know we've had our episode on that. Um, You you know, we take somebody who may not have a partner and they have financial and, you know, you know, problems and there's all kinds of things there's the aces all those things but you know so those are some of the you know and you have to be really careful and those are some of the obvious things you know I just have to do a little side note so I have a a, a grandson my first grandson who's a little over one year old and I know so like cute. I know he's so cute but the thing is like I when I see my daughter who's his aunt right you know she doesn't have kids yet it's my son's child and his wife's child But she would do this little, you know, party rockers in the house tonight. She does this dance with him and he loves it. And then she want to see you. And then she shakes, shakes, shakes him. And and he's smiling and laughing. But I'm like, oh, my God, don't shake him. But she's not trying to shake him. But I feel like he'll have brain damage. But, you know, it's but I mean, that hasn't caused any damage, obviously. But, um, you know, I'm so paranoid about it based on what we've seen in the, you know, the the um, the lifelong complications and you know it's really rare that just playing and bouncing with your baby like that will cause shaken baby syndrome you have to be really violently shaking the baby back and forth like repeatedly um with some force behind it to the point where the brain is repeatedly hitting against the skull for it to cause damage but girl, I totally get your paranoia and I'm the same way anytime I'm around a baby. I'm like, oh my God, don't shake him. There's other things though. You see a child who is, again, those unexplained injuries that we talked about in, you know, areas that are, you know, aren't explainable. You know, if the parent says, oh, they fell off their bike. Um, uh, I had a patient who was, um, who had autism and mm-hmm. um, was completely nonverbal and had bruises all over the body, head to toe. And the parent tried to say that that's because um, 
he is riding his bike and falling off. I don't even think that that if the child is having that hard of a time riding a bike, you need to not put him on the bike. But um, yeah. things like um, shying away from touch or flinching when at sudden movements. Um, maybe they're afraid if you're um, to go home if they're playing at your house or they're um, at school. You're a teacher. They might wear um, clothing that's inappropriate to the weather conditions, so it's super hot out, and they might be in like a long sleeve shirt and long pants because the parents trying to um, hide some of those injuries. You know, things like, you know, and this could be physical abuse and emotional abuse or neglect, things like um, being excessively withdrawn, fearful, they're anxious, Um, extremes in behavior. So they might be kids who are very demanding and very aggressive, or they might be those who are very passive and shy. Um, You know, they might act inappropriately, like they might be adult-like you know, and try Mm -hmm. to take care of other kids, or they might be more infantile, like suck their thumb, throw tantrums, all those types of things. Um, So these are things to be on alert for, you know, for kids that are victims of uh, children who are victims of abuse. Yeah. Yeah. There's also, we talked about neglect, you know, in adults, it's similar in um, children, but things you might want to look for, they have clothes that don't fit or they're really dirty. And again, they're not appropriate for the weather. Um, their hygiene is consistently not good, meaning that their hair may be unwashed or they may smell, they may have dirty and be dirty all the time. Um, maybe some, they might have illnesses, sicknesses that aren't treated or, um, either left alone unsupervised, um, or in unsafe environments. Um, a lot of time these kids with all types of abuse are frequently late to school or they have excessive absences, something to look for. You know, um, so much. What was that? As I just hate it so much. I'm just so sad. It's so sad. And it's so sad. It's like one, it's all sad. Everything we do is sad. That's why we, that's why, um, we have to take care of ourselves. (laughs) But, um, um, and also sexual abuse. So with kids, um, you might see some of those behavior changes that we talked about previously, but, Maybe they are having trouble walking or sitting because they, they're uncomfortable. Um, they might, oh, here's another one. I don't know if you've, how much you've seen this of the um, displaying knowledge or interest in sexual acts that are, you know, not age appropriate or here's, I mean, that's a big one. Like, you know, they start acting out like they'll, you know, I've heard, seen, heard of some instances where like a kid in like school in the third grade or second grade or first grade pulls out their penis or mm-hmm. a, you know, things like that, or, um, Absolutely. being very seductive, yeah. young girls being very seductive, especially with, you know, men. Yeah. That's, that's not a normal thing. I think that sometimes we think, Oh, they're just coming into that age and they're, you know, exploring their sexuality, but these are not, that's not normal. It's um, normal to explore your sexuality, but we're talking about above that. Inappropriate behaviors. Mm-hmm. Like that is what is not normal. So these are the things, warning signs. We're trying to educate our listeners on the warning signs of abuse in all ages and then what to do about it. So once we find out about um, abuse, we want to report it to the appropriate agency. So we always want to, um, if you feel somebody's life is in danger, their safety's in danger, um, even if you just think it's possible, it, you know, the best thing to do is call law enforcement first. Um, yep. Call law enforcement. Yeah. Don't, 
that's always your best bet. It doesn't matter if you're wrong. It it just just call. If you think a child is in danger, call. And then you have to live with or danger. Call. Yeah, anybody. Because it, and I'm going to tell a, a story, um, but I'm going to change some of the facts because I, you know, because of you know privacy purposes. But um, you know, if you as we always do, I don't know if we've ever said that. We always change the facts. We change ages, sex. Um, all of that. We have to because so we to, to protect the privacy of others, you know, so, you know, yeah. so it's not fictitious. It's just, um, you know, we, you know, th- we just have to do that. So, um, you know, the thing is, is like, we always have a choice, you know, as humans, we have a choice. We see or feel something's going on. We have a choice to act or not act. Um, you know, and it's up to you. It's a personal decision. However, um, you have to live with the consequences of your actions or lack of actions. We get it. So um, if, if I have a feeling something's going on, I'm going to act because if that person um, has life-threatening, is, dies, let's just say they're killed by at the hands of the other person or they are vegetables or whatever, I don't want that to, you know, because I turned my head the other way, right? So, um, right. so I would just go ahead and report it. So there was an incident of, oh, I'm trying to put this so, uh, basically um, people at a store saw a person who had injuries that, um, and didn't look like they were very well taken care of. Like they looked like they were malnourished potentially. And multiple people decided to act and to call law enforcement. Well, they saved the life of this particular person who was on the verge of death at the hands of their caretaker. So again, a um, a lot of people called, but sometimes you can be the one that doesn't call. Oh, oh someone else will call. Someone else will call. Um, and mm-hmm. other things you can call is Department of Child, you know, Child Protective Services. I don't, you know, everybody has a different um, Child Protective Services in their area, but you can always call Child Protective Services. Um, you have to ha- um, have a known child. You can't sit, call Child Protective Services and say, I saw a kid in the street that was, you know, getting hit by his mom, you know. And I don't know where they are, who they are. They're not there anymore. Well, that's not going to go anywhere, right? <laughs> that would just be a 911 call. But, you know, you're going to have to provide some information. Um, you, Unless you are a mandated reporter, you are able to remain anonymous. And unless you make a false report, there's nothing that can ever happen to you. They're not going to go back and tell anybody who called and because they don't even know. You don't even have to give them their name, so they won't even know. But um, for children, it's child protective services. For adults, it's adult protective services. And so that brings us into mandated reporters and who is a mandated reporter. So anytime you're in a hospital setting and you encounter anybody that works in the hospital, they are a mandated reporter. So if they suspect something or see something, they're able to call um, child welfare services and make a report. And that will trigger a cascade of events. But anyone that's working in a position of power over a child is a mandated reporter. So a police officer, a probation officer, anyone who works for the welfare department or child protective services, they're all mandated reporters. Teachers, <laughs> teachers, counsel- teachers, counselors, coaches, mm-hmm. all these people are mandated reporters. Reporter. Now, in mandated reporters, it's a little bit different than you know the general public. So mandated reporters Mm -hmm. are not um, able to remain anonymous. They have to provide their information and, um, but you know, they're obligated by law. So they can be, uh, there are, they can be put in jail. They can be fined for not reporting. So again, um, mandated reporters 
have to provide their information and non-mandated reporters do not have to. So what happens, you know, after you make a report? So after you make a report, you know, the, um, the respective agency, Child Protective or Adult Protective Services, um, they will investigate the case. You know, they will find out, you know, they'll research, they'll make sure that those, um, that either the children or child or adult or adults are taken into protective custody if necessary, make sure that they have a safe place um, to be, you know, take them out of the situation if it's, you know, if it's a situation that needs to be, they need to be taken out of. So for instance, if um, let's just say a child is being um, sexually assaulted by their uncle who lives in another state and they went to go visit him. Well, that child doesn't have to be taken out of the home because the perpetrator isn't living in the home. But let's just say the child was sexually abused by the father who lives in the home. You know, the, the father is taken out of the home or the child is taken out of the home, depending on the situation. So their job is to, um, to collaborate with law enforcement um, and conduct an investigation as to what occurred and make a determination as to what's going to happen in order to keep the child, adult, or whoever the victim of the crime is safe. And I've been in multiple instances, as I'm sure you have too, Ellie, and if there's any other forensic nurse examiners that are listening, I'm sure you guys have too, been in an instance where you're conducting a child abuse or neglect exam and you do notify DCFS because you are gravely concerned and they trigger an immediate response. And that immediate response means the child is now on a hospital hold and they are not allowed to leave and DCFS or CPS or whoever is on their way to conduct their own investigation. That's never a fun situation to be involved in. It's very volatile. It's um, a very hostile or can be a very hostile time. Um, but everybody that's involved in the process is in it for the well-being of the child. And it's also super traumatic for the child to be removed from the only people that they may know. But these are things that have to happen. If we suspect something, we have to report it. And if it ends up in the removal of the child, then then that's what it is. Yeah. And we're all, you know, a law enforcement officer, a child protective or adult protective services employee, a nurse, a provider, forensic nurse examiner, such as ourselves. We're not everywhere at all times. So it's up to the community members to be the eyes and ears for these victims of crimes. So again, don't yeah. turn your back on something that you see or know. Do your part to help stop the violence. Now we're going to talk a little bit about characteristics of abusers. Now, it's not a cookie cutter situation when it comes to characteristics, but there are some things that we could look for or you could look for to, um, you know, maybe identify abusers that you may know. Yeah. So it might be somebody who blows up in anger over small incidents, maybe someone easily insulted, um, claiming their feelings are hurt or they're really angry, someone who's excessively jealous in relationships or, um, you know, somebody who may have alcohol or drug you know, abuse problems, history or family history of violence or abuse. They may be someone who is cruel to animals and, and, or children, somebody who doesn't really show empathy. They may have fascinations with things such as weapons or violence and think it's okay to, to solve conflicts with violence, you know, making threats, you know, fighting, um, throwing things, any type of physical force threats, 
is a big one, you know, um, you know, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll kill you. I'm going to fuck you up. You know, all those different types of things. Um, that's a quote that I hear so often when I'm doing my interviews, I'm going to fuck you up. I'm going to, that's why I used it. It's all the time. I I thought, Oh, that was kind of like one of our bad words, but we said we use foul language sometimes, but I hear that all the time. Yeah. And it's really sad. It's yeah. Or I'm going to kill you, uh, you know, or you're going to regret it. If you tell somebody you're going to regret this. Yeah. Yeah. So those are like some, you know, stereotypical (laughs) things that you see there. You know, a lot of times they're, um, people who are abusers, like, let's just say like in relationships, like domestic violence or interpersonal violence situations, they might be really quick to become involved in relationships and, you know, um, kind of shower them. Like, what do you call that when they, um, love bombing, love bombing. Yeah. Love bombing, um, have unrealistic expectations of their partner. Um, they may even use like a, you know, like a playful force during sex and have um, sexual fantasies about, um, you know, you know, where the victim's helpless, helpless, like, you know, maybe the fake choking thing or whatever that is that people do or, yeah. Um, some, these people in, when it comes to relationships, whether it's a, you know, a interpersonal relationship, you know, in a partner relationship, or it's with their children, they might um, say cruel things or hurtful things to kind of humiliate the person and take away, you know, some of their confidence um, they're often moody and unpredictable. So you can see someone that's literally like the nicest person one minute and then they just flip the switch. Mm-hmm. You know, something triggers them and they flip the switch. Those people freak me out. Yeah, yeah, that's freaking terrifying. Yeah, because it, it makes what it does is it creates a very um, unstable environment and a lot of insecurity and anxiety for the abused person, you know, whether again, child or adult. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are certain things that you might see, um, you know, in an abuser. And a lot of times they are people who are victims of abuse themselves. I said that, but I want to make sure that's clear. A yeah. lot of the time they are. They are. And they're just um, projecting it onto their victim. Um, so a lot of times there'll be threats of homicide or suicide. Um, they may threaten to kill themselves. They may, like we said, threaten to harm the victim, their relatives, their friends, their pets, whatever is important to that victim, they'll threaten to harm. They may vocalize a plan for a homicide or suicide saying that, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And then they may or may not carry that out. They may be in possession of weapons. This is a question that's on our exam. So we talked about those, our forms that we have to fill out that are about up to 10 pages long. This is one of the questions. Did they have a plan? Did they say what they were going to do? Did they have weapons on them? Weapons is a big one. What did they do with the weapon? Did they threaten you with the weapon? Did they show you the weapon? We want to know everything involved with that. And as you know, the thing is also something to keep in mind is most often violence escalates. So it might start with something, you know, very small and eventually over time it escalates. You see any, we, I know you and I are just like obsessed with serial killers you know, a lot of serial yeah. crime. Not serial in crime. the way you guys think. We are obsessed in a way that it's interesting and it's for our like educational benefit. And you see those, you know, if you if you watch a documentary or read a book about a serial killer or serial rapist, most of the time it started in childhood. It, There's something okay. that they did and it was a little bit and then it was more. 
mm-hmm. then it was more, and then it was more. And then, you know, of course, being in law enforcement, you know, I've had experience with this. You know, I had a story. I have a story to tell. And I know I want to hear your story. So give us some stories. Well, so when I was in law enforcement, I had a, I took a crime report for at the time it was domestic violence in which the woman in the relationship was a victim of physical violence, you know, from the man who was a suspect, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, if, so uh, this person never showed up to court. The suspect never showed up to court. Um, he was not arrested, but we did a crime report in any way a case was filed on him. And so my partner and I, had, we were working nights and we had to get up every single morning, super duper early to get to court and the suspect didn't show up. So we thought, well, let's just go door knock him. Cause he lived with the girlfriend in an apartment and, um, tell him to go tomorrow. Cause we didn't want to keep getting up so early. Right. Um, mm-hmm. we actually got there and it's so ironic. This was a multi-story apartment complex. It was on fire. He had set not like the whole thing on fire, but there was a fire in there. So, um, he had lit her clothes on fire. So anyway, he fled. It ended up, he um, ended up going across the country and killing multiple women <gasps> across the country. He was actually a serial killer, but you never know. But it started with domestic violence. And I'm sure there was something before that, things before that, that, you know, we weren't privy to. But yeah. So Girl, that yes, Ellie, you are my spirit animal. You live <laughs> my dreams, girl. Oh, that's so cool. So, I mean, not that it's cool that that happened, but it's cool that you got to be in the invest in the investigative side of that, and to see that, and to know like what goes into pursuing that. Well, that is- <laughs> it is pretty. It was pretty interesting. I have to say, <laughs> some good stories. Um, but anyway, so it's just like to really prove a point, you know, how this usually, um, happens over time. You usually don't have an abuser that one day just, you know, um, starts abusing that day. It could happen, I suppose, but there could be some type of trigger, but really just, these are signs to watch out for, you know, in people around you, you know? And so if you're in a relationship, let's say it's an interpersonal relationship and you start to see some of these signs, you may want to, um, consider a different relationship, like get the hell out. Before it's get too late. Get the hell out. <laughs> Say that again. Get the hell out. Get the hell out of that relationship. It's not worth it. If you see what we see, you wouldn't it wouldn't be worth it. I can't tell you how many times I've seen young women, even you know, under the age of 18, who have been near death because of their partner. And yeah. you don't need that partner. There's there's resources out there. There are, you know, there's, you know, temporary shelter. There's some chance at permanent shelter. So, again, um, just a little bit about the um, characteristics of abusers. Hopefully yeah. this will help you um, recognize the warning signs. Yeah. And just to reiterate, that's not love. Sometimes we think any kind of attention is love, and it's not. So whatever you've got to do to get yourself out of the situation and to get yourself help so that you can recognize um, what is good for you and what is not is going to be beneficial. I know in the moment it doesn't feel like it feels like the end of the world, right? You're losing somebody that cares about you, but do they really care about you? Um, You just have to really dig deep and do the work and and get out of the situation. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So again, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate you. 
We love you guys. Thank you for listening. Leave us a remark if you can. Leave us a review, and we'll catch you next time. Toodles.